This morning we begin a brand new series here at Walk Church that we're titling 316, 316, Knowing God Better Through the 316s of the Bible. And one of the reasons why I wanted us to do this series is because over the past year, I've been noticing all these moments just in reading the Word and drawing deeper into the Word, growing deeper into the Scriptures, that there's a lot of 316 Scriptures that have become highlights for me in my personal walk with the Lord. And I thought it was only John 3.16 in there, and that's one of the ones we're going to hit. But I've actually selected eight different 3.16 passages that for over the next eight weeks we're going to walk through and learn from and grow from. And the goal is this, that we're going to get to know God better because we spent time in these different 3.16s. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a disclaimer. This, this first one that we've selected is a little bit by choice because I wanted us to start the year off with a challenge. So this first one is going to be the toughest of the eight, and it's going to be strong, it's going to be encouraging, and at the same time, it may feel like a little nudge from the Lord as we turn our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 16. If you're looking for this book, it's the last book in the Bible. And we will encourage you to turn to this verse with me now. Now, I gave you the disclaimer. Do you all receive it? If you're ready, say ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. Let's eat from this word here today. Jesus writing to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation says, So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I didn't hear any amens on that verse. (laughs) Like I said, uh, challenging to say the least. I want to preach a message to you this morning that I'm titling, The Church That Made God Sick. The Church That Made God Sick. I'm reading that, and I'm disturbed by it. I'm, I'm bothered by it, and at the same time, I'm, I'm asking myself, where am I at in this specific verse? I think it's only right that when we read the Bible that we, we gather scriptures and make sure we read them in their correct context. So I'm going to go ahead and have us look at this entire passage, starting in verse 14 all the way through 22, and maybe we'll get a little bit more detail in the text. The scripture says... To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17 says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered. He continues, he says, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So, Be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, 
Isn't that an awesome promise, church? That Jesus says, hey, look, for those who are faithful, those who conquer, those who remain true till the end, I'm going to even let them come sit with me on my heavenly throne. I'll come in and dine with them. Verse 22 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice that last word. This is a letter written to the churches. There was once a disciple of Jesus named John. John was a faithful disciple of the Lord. He knows himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Maybe he was feeling himself a little bit. That's a little bit of an egotistic line, but he was tight with Jesus. His story and testimony is that he was uh, persecuted for his faith, and his persecution, rather than killing him for his faith or, or sending him to prison where he would just share his faith, what they did was they took him and they stranded him and outcast him on an island called Patmos. And while the apostle John was on this island, he received this revelation from God, that God took him into this vision, into this revelation moment, and said, here's the words that I want to share with you, John. In chapters 1 and chapters 2 of the book of Revelation, the Lord highlights seven churches that he has a word for. And the Laodicean church is the seventh church out of the bunch. So the first six he identifies by name. He says, the first church that I want to write to is the church in Ephesus, otherwise known as the Ephesian church. We've been actually walking through the book of Ephesians over the past couple years. Well, God has a word for the Ephesian church. He tells them that they're a church that loves theology, that their doctrine is strong, that they love the word of God. But then he tells them, while that's good, they've forgotten their first love, the God of the word. Saying you could have all the right teaching and, all, and, and memorize scripture and have all of your religious things down. But if you miss your love relationship with God, you miss it all. So let's be careful that in 2019, we don't love theology more than the one that it's about. God himself. He says, so the Ephesians, y'all left your first love. Get back to loving me and the word. And then he says to the church in Smyrna, he says, I want to remind you to remain steadfast till the end, to keep your faith strong, even in the midst of heavy persecution. For he says, persecution is heading your way, and some may even lose their lives because of it. He says to the church in Pergamum, he says, you have believed, but you believed in false teachings. In false doctrines. You could learn something from the Ephesian church. He says to them, the church in Pergamum, you need to repent of believing and receiving false teachings. He goes on to the church in Thyatira. He says, you need to repent of sexual sin amongst your church. There's sexual immorality and squandering and eating food that was once sacrificed to idols. There needs to be a turning from those things. Jesus is identifying and addressing churches in this letter. He moves from Thyatira to the church of Sardis, and he says, your church is a dead church. What a challenging word from the Lord. He says, it doesn't mean that there's no hope for your church. He's just saying that when I look at your church, I see a dead church. So he says, church of Sardis, wake up. Come alive again. Receive me. Come close to me. Wake up, church of Sardis. And then the sixth church, the church in Philadelphia, The Lord encourages that this church, though they are small in size and 
even a little in power, that they've actually done well in standing firm in the midst of persecution. Heavy persecution was in this context and culture as we talked about John being outcast, Christ being uh, uh, crucified for uh, being the savior of the world and all of his followers following his steps. And he's saying, those who reject me will, I'll reject before the Father. And he's holding them to his promise. And these are challenging statements to the churches. But now I can just picture the church in Laodicea saying, all right, what about us? That was all them. God, what did he say about me? What did, the, what did the Lord have to say about the Laodicean church? And that's where we pick it up this morning. It wasn't much better, was it? Let's start off with the introduction. The introduction of what Jesus says to this church. We see in the introduction starting at Revelation 3 verse 14 that God is addressing himself when he's writing to this church. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the messenger, write these words. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He says, when they ask who's writing, tell them that the amen is writing. Now, isn't that an interesting name for God? I've never seen in the scriptures God refer to himself as the amen. What does amen even mean? Amen, by definition, means I come into agreement. So when we close our prayers with amen, we're agreeing that it's going to happen. Amen is the final stamp. Amen is saying that this is certain, it's concluded, it's closed, it's finished, and it's going to happen. Amen. Amen? Right? And so God here is saying, I'm the amen. I'm the actual certain one. I'm the one who's going to remain true. I'm the one who's going to stamp it and finalize it. I'm the one who's certain. When he says, tell them that the amen is writing to you, he's saying that we should listen. That he's not playing around. And that what he is saying is going to happen. It's already amen. He says, not only am I the amen, but I'm the faithful and true witness. He says, I'm the faithful witness and I'm the true witness. I'm not a false witness. I'm not fabricating content. I'm not making this up. I am the true witness. One of my biggest pet peeves is false witnesses, people that make up stories that aren't true, add to the story, take away from the story. May we never be a false witness. We have false witnesses all around our city, don't we? People that are claiming to witness about the Lord Jesus but are not witnessing the truth. Here we have the actual true witness himself saying, I'm writing to you. Listen up. Finally, he says, I'm the beginning of God's creation. Now, when you read that, I don't want you to think that he's saying that I'm, the, I'm somebody who was created and I was the first one that was ever created. We just came out of Christmas, right? Jesus is not the first person ever born, right? As he was born from somebody, Mary, right? We see a lot of people that were born before him. So what is this verse saying? The firstborn in the beginning of God's creation, what he's saying there is I'm the first at rank. When it comes to God's creation, Jesus is saying that I'm at the top of it. The ESV study Bible gives us a little bit of commentary into this. He says, 
Jesus' self-designation as the beginning of God's creation does not mean that he is God's first creation, but that he is the one who began God's creation. That Jesus himself is actually the creator alongside Father God. Colossians chapter 1, we see in this letter written to the Colossian church, says it like this. I want you to read it with me. Can we read it together? Ready? One, two, three. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Everybody say all things. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul's writing to the Colossian church, and he's saying, make sure you get Jesus right. Here's how you get Jesus right. By knowing that you know that you know that all things were created through him and for him. Let me remind you, you're created for Jesus. Maybe you'll get to a place in 2019 where you ask this question. You say, you know what? Why did God create me? Like, why do I even exist? Let me answer that for you. You're created for him. God created you selfishly. He created you for himself because he desires to have a relationship with you and that you would desire to have a relationship with him. Now, God is by no means lonely He's surrounded by myriads and myriads and thousands of angels. He in himself exists in community with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But how cool is it that he invites us to get into, right? He says, you're created for him. Your job is created for him. Sports are created for him. Music is created for him. These chairs are created for him. This school is created for him. He is the beginning of all creation. He's the end of all creation. He is Jesus. Now, here's why I bring that up, because that should trigger something for us, which is focus up, y'all. I need to listen. The amen is speaking. The beginning is speaking. The faithful, true witness is speaking. What would you have to say to us? The next thing that we see is we see the indictment. As he moves from the introduction of himself to now the indictment found in the scriptures. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. Jesus tells the writer, he says, I know your works. Now how about that right there? That in itself is like, oh man, I'm found out. He knows. There's no getting anything past him. I can't fool him. He starts off by saying these four words, I know your works, Walk Church. I know everything about your church. I know all the people in your church. I know your works. And here's what he says to the church in Laodicea. He says, you're neither cold nor hot. He goes, I would rather you be either cold or hot. Notice the exclamation point. Jesus kind of turned up a little bit a notch. He says, so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth for you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This indictment right here really challenged me, y'all. So in case you're feeling like, oh man, this is, he's reading my mailbox, this is, this is punching me in the gut a little bit, know that it is for me as well. And here's why I would say that, because I want you to catch from this verse what it's actually saying. That we could actually just read it and go home today and that would be a good enough sermon. That Jesus is saying, I know your works. You're neither 
hot, let's say hot's on this side, and, and cold is on this side. He goes, you're neither hot nor cold. You're right here in the mushy middle. And here's what I realized as I was reading this, y'all. That Jesus does not accept the mushy middle. That Jesus is saying, I am going to reject the middle ground that says, you know what? Like, I'm not going to be hot for God. I'm not necessarily cold. Like, I believe. I even go to church sometimes, and I sprinkle some money in the plate, and I might even sing a song. It's cool. Yeah, like, I, I, I like it. I'm not, I'm not hot for the Lord. I'm not one of those people. I'm not cold either. And, and we live in a culture where that's okay. I just want you to know it's not okay. And I'm not making this up. I'm just reading the text, all right? And what Jesus is speaking to me is simply this. I'm not going to accept it. I can't think of anything more staggering from an image perspective, anything more challenging, anything more startling than Jesus spitting out of his mouth, the church. And remember, this isn't written to the atheist club, right? Jesus is like, y'all cold. You've already made your choice. You're over here in the cold. And you'll remain cold. He's writing this to a church. This letter was to be read inside a church where the, the message would be from Jesus himself. The message today is coming from Jesus. What does he say? He says, I know your works are neither hot nor cold, and I will spit you out of my mouth. That Jesus doesn't accept lukewarm Christians. In fact, that phrase in itself is a contradiction. There's no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. I think what I'm realizing here in the scripture is you're either hot or cold. And what I'm praying for for 2019, I'm praying this over my life and your life and those who are watching online, is that 2019 would be a year that's hot for the Lord. Amen? That 2019 would be a year, yeah, if two people clap, we all clap, that 2019 would be a year that says, you know what? I look back at my life and I've been more hot for God than I ever have been. That, you know what? I'm, I'm a hot believer for the Lord. That my life can't be categorized by lukewarm. And it's not gonna be categorized by cold. And to be honest, if, if you gotta pick one or the other and you're gonna say, you know what? I'm not gonna be hot. Just go ahead and be cold then. Because Jesus said, I would rather that be the case. And you'll realize being cold is not joyful. And that being cold has no purpose. And being cold will leave you cold for eternity. Separated from God. Why not say, you know what, today I'm going to get hot. I'm going to start reading again. I'm going to start praying again. I'm going to get back involved in a small group. I'm going to say, you know what, I'm not just going to go to church once a month. I'm going to go to church all month. I'm going to go to the prayer meeting. I'm going to get connected and plugged in. I'm going to start serving. I'm going to get baptized if you need to get baptized. I'm going to take a step this year to get hot. That's what he's trying to get the church of Laodicea to see. I think that this church, the Laodicean church, describes a lot of America. If Jesus were to write a letter to the American church, churches in America, I wonder if he would have a lot of similar language to the Laodiceans and say, you know, the church in America, y'all think y'all so cool. You think you're rich. 
You think you don't need anything. But the truth is, you're, you're, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're right there in the middle, and therefore I'll spit you out of my mouth. Notice that they had this wrong impersonation, this wrong impression of their church. The Laodiceans, he says, that you say I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. You know what that is? That's pride. To say, I, I need nothing. I'm rich. I got this under control. I'm rich with God. And he's saying, no, you're not. I know your works. You can't fool me. Say, so I'm prospering. He's saying, no, you're not. You're actually taking steps backwards. You must be blind. You must be naked. That Jesus is talking to the the, the, the church of Laodicea and saying, I need, I need you to be hot for me again. I've, I'm learning this principle from my wife. My wife, Nina, is a, a, a coffee enthusiast. All right? Come on, anybody? Y'all like, you're like, my top three is like Jesus, coffee, and my bed. All right? Like somebody, does I describe any of you guys right there? My, my wife loves coffee, and me trying to be the husband that God calls me to be, I'll at times ask her, what, what can I get you? to drink. And she'll give me some type of fancy phrase. I want a cinnamon dolce macchiato latte caramel stuff. No idea what she's saying. I just know to ask one question. Do you want it hot or do you want it ice cold? And depending on the season, she'll say, make sure you tell them hot or make sure you tell them cold, right? But I've never, ever, ever, ever heard her say, make sure that you ask for it to be lukewarm. Because I know that if I show up with a coffee that's not hot or not ice cold, she's going to say, take this away and go back and get it right. Just saying. She gave me approval to share that, all right? <laughs> yeah, go Nina. Amen. God is very similar. God is saying, walk church, you're either going to be a hot church or you're going to be a cold church. What if we together said this year is going to be a hot year? Not just in the summer. Not just physically. But spiritually, I'm going to be more hot than ever. I'm going to make some decisions to get around the heater this year. That I'm going to make some decisions. Sometimes we hang out with people that every time we hang out with them, it's like they grab a bucket of water and dump it on our spiritual flame. Like, man, i got to cut some people off. That's not lighting me up. I got to get around some people that help me stay lit for the Lord, stay hot for the Lord. I don't want to be in this group that Jesus is looking at me saying, you're so in the middle. You're like playing hopscotch or double dutch. You're like kind of like, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm hot, I'm cold, thinking that that's cute. It's not cute. You'll get spit out of the Lord's mouth. Maybe it's just a message for me. It's just a message for me. So we need to have the right way to see ourselves. This church saw themselves from the wrong perspective. This I'm all good perspective. This nobody can judge me perspective. What are you talking about? I'm rich. What are you talking about? Making excuses. And the Lord tells them very plainly, he goes, the, the, the reality, you haven't realized this yet, but hopefully this letter will help you realize that you're wretched you guys ever heard the song Amazing Grace? That song is about us. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Saying that's, that's your song, Laodiceans. You're wretched. You're 
pitiable that the Lord looks at this church and he says, man, I got pity for y'all. I'm, I'm pitying the Laodicean church. You know why? Because y'all think y'all so good. You're content in your lukewarm religiosity. You're like proud of your religiousness. And Jesus is like, man, I got pity on that, that you're really poor, not rich. You're really blind. You can't see that you're actually naked. You don't have clothes on. You need to be clothed again with the righteousness of the Lord. You need to get hot again. You need to get hot again. You need to humble yourselves and get hot again. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of all preachers, he once said it like this. He said, humility is to make a right estimate of oneself. To have true humility is to look in the mirror and to make a right estimate of one's self. And maybe the right estimate for you this year is, you know what, up to this point, I feel kind of lukewarm. And, and if that's the case, here's what I want to share with you. God loves you enough to tell you on the first weekend of the year, don't stay there. But do something about it. May your resolution be in 2020 of January, I'm hotter than I was in 2019. That I just feel more on fire for Christ than I've ever been before. Now, we move from the introduction, from the indictment now to the instruction. Because maybe you're like me and you're asking, well, what do I do? I feel lukewarm. Or I feel like I'm not quite where I need to be in my walk. And you're like, you know what? I need instruction. I need counsel from God. Lord, counsel me on what to do. Praise God. He has counsel for you. Verse 18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Well, how are they going to do that when they're poor? So that you may be rich. In white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then again, he reminds us that this message is coming from love. He goes, those who I love, I reprove and discipline. The word reprove just means to correct, to straighten out. So be zealous and repent. Now, where does this language come? This language sounds a lot like a prophecy that was given in Isaiah chapter 55. I want to show it to you. Hundreds, 500 years before the book of Revelation ever came out, we see this prophecy from Isaiah 55. Isaiah, this writer, says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Those who want to get hot again, show up, come out. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Again, that makes no sense. How do you come buy if you don't have any money? Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Well, there's no price on it. You know why? Because the Lord has paid the price. And he's saying, here's what he means when he says, come, show up and buy. Imagine this heavenly storehouse, right? This, this shop that you can go in and Jesus is at the register, right? And he says, pick out everything you want in here. Come and buy. Take some forgiveness. Take grace. Take mercy. Take freedom. Take, take my word, take the church, take salvation, take my life, take my death, take my resurrection, show up and present it to me. And even though you don't got a thing, you're poor, blind and naked, Jesus says you can have it all. I'm giving it all to you. Take it, receive it, use it, do it, put it on. Be free, he says, without price you can have it. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? 
your labor for that which does not satisfy. When he's the one that satisfies, he says, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Keep coming back to that store and buying. And what are you buying with? You're just buying with your faith. You're you're buying with your life. Sometimes when the offering basket's passed, you know what I want to do? I just want to hop in it. I just want to get in there. Put me in the basket, Lord, and use me. Use me however you want. I'm, I'm bringing myself as the offering. Here's why. Because I'm hot. I'm a flame. Use me. Use me to heat something up this year. I want to be hot for you. I, I, I want you to use me. To quote from Charles Spurgeon again, he writes on this specific verse. He says, does someone have a religion that he received from mother, father, Sunday school, teacher, or friend? It's worth nothing. All true grace must be bought from Christ on free grace terms. He says, I advise you to buy from me. But what? Everything, church. Everything you need to be hot this year, you can have. And you don't have to have any physical dollars to have it. You have to have faith in the gospel and trust in Jesus. And then you have to take a step and say, I want to get hot. If you're freezing, if you're outside and you're cold, go in and get hot. Come on, go take a step and get hot this year. It's going to require you to take a step, but praise God, he's already taken the steps for you. As the verse concludes in this last part, he says, so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. What does it mean to be zealous? How do I have a zeal about my faith? Can you describe your faith walk with Jesus as something that is zealous? Well, here's how you can know. The word zealous by definition, according to dictionary.com, is full of, characterized by, or due to zeal. Ardently active, devoted, or diligent. The word zeal means to have great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. What cause an objective, church? The cause to be hot again. The objective is to say, God, I want to be hot for you. Amen? The objective is to say, God, use me greater than I've ever been used before. I want to know you better this year than ever before. Give me a zeal. To be zealous and repent. The word repent just means to change. Be zealous, enthusiastic and energized, and repent. Repent means to do a 180, to change your thinking and your lifestyle. It means one day I was going this way, I'm going this way, and I choose to repent. It just means I'm going this way now. And do it zealously, turning from sin, turning from lukewarm to the flame, to him. That's the response that God gives us in his instruction. The final part of this verse is his invitation. The invitation. So we got the introduction from the amen. We got the indictment that we're lukewarm. We got the instruction, zealously repent and go to the store and buy again. And now the invitation. 
What's the invitation? Let me give it to you. Verse 20 tells us this is the invitation from God. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, anyone, everybody say anyone. Anyone. Doesn't mean you have to be special, righteous, holy, religious, clean, dirty, anyone. It's good news that you can hear his voice. Open the door. And he promises that he will come in and eat with you. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, says Jesus. What a granting from the Lord. He not only says that, he says that you can sit down with my father, that he did that on his throne, that he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. My prayer for Walk Church is that, God, you would just give us an ear. Give us an ear to hear this and to let you in again. That this isn't written to individuals because too often we've individualized this verse, like I just got to knock or I just got to open the door and Jesus, I got to let Jesus come in. Now, there's some principle there, but this is ultimately written to a church, isn't it? We collectively have to let him in. We need to let Jesus lead our lives. We need to let Jesus lead this church, lead our worship, lead our preaching, lead our groups, lead our kids' ministry. Jesus, come on in and eat. Come on in and dine with us. Come on in and lead our lives, lead our marriages, lead our children, lead everything about us, amen? We want to be hot for you. The invitation from God is there. What will we do with the invitation? John Piper says it so challengingly. He says, Christ did not die to purify a bride who would keep him on the porch while she watches TV in the den. His will for the church is that we open the door, all the doors of our lives. Piper says, hey, you know what? Don't be the type of church that Jesus just kind of stands out in the courtyard and watches. Let him in. Open the door and let him in. And we can't do that unless we all decide together. We're going to let him in. We're going to be hot this year. I may have felt cold. I may have felt lukewarm in my life. But this is going to change. And we're going to be on fire. And that walk church will be an on fire church. And everybody will see it, sense it, feel it, be touched by it. As I close this message, I wanted you to hear one more quotation from a fiery revivalist out of England. Leonard Ravenhill once said, you never have to advertise a fire, right? Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. That the community around us would say, dang, there's something different about this church. This church is on fire. This church is hot for the Lord. I want to be a part of that. I know where I can come get warm. And it's here at Walk Church in the city of Las Vegas, Nevada.